Good morning, First Baptist Church of Greg Gables. Uh, go ahead and, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 in your Bibles, if you would. That's where our, our sermon will be from this morning. That's the text we'll be reading. Um, it's weird for me to say this morning because you guys are just now getting ready for church. Uh, y'all are, are still in your um, your morning attire, and, and I just got done working a long day at work, and it's the sun's starting to go down, so it's nighttime for me. So it's a little weird to say good morning. But this morning, we're going to be talking about what the biblical model for parenting looks like, uh, what we see from Scripture. And, and I'm pretty excited about this passage um, because I, it's been working on me for the past month or so, um, and, and I've had a really good time studying this, this section of Scripture. So I hope you guys enjoy it just as much as I have. So if you found your place in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let's, let's go ahead and read verses 4 through 9. Verses 4 through 9, God's Word says this, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates." Let's pray and thank the Lord for the word that he's given us this morning. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship together uh, as believers. Lord, I thank you for the word that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would just, um, just speak to us this morning. Lord, we know that your word is authoritative. We know that it is true. And Lord, we know that we can trust it. So Lord, just uh, open our hearts and open our ears and open our minds so that we will be ready to hear your word and be transformed by it to be made more like you. Lord, we pray this in your precious and holy name. Amen. So all of us have most likely heard this passage taught before. Even, even if we haven't heard a sermon on it necessarily, uh, we've at least read it, or we've heard someone quote it so that we're pretty familiar with it. And, and many sermons have been written on this passage in regards to how to raise our children in a godly way. So as we come to this text this morning... I feel like you may face the temptation to check out for one of three reasons. And, and I would like to go ahead and address them now so that we can all stay on track this morning. Um, first of all, we see the temptation of familiarity with the text. As I previously stated, we're, we're all probably familiar with this text. We've heard it before. And I'm sure that you've heard it taught so many times, so it's easy to cross it off the list and just drift off this morning because you, you're familiar with it. But let me implore you not to do so today. Don't do that. It's, it's funny how God's word works on us. Because no matter how many times you read God's word, God can use the same passage in different ways to make, him, uh, to make you more like him. So let's not let familiarity with the word become a hindrance to us this morning. The second temptation that you may face is to think that a sermon on parenting doesn't necessarily apply to you. Uh, if you're one of our teenagers young single adults, or even young married couples without children yet, you may think that this doesn't apply to you yet. But on the flip side, you may be also one of our seasoned veterans. You've raised all of your kids, and they're out of the house raising their own families now. You may be tempted to think that parenting is in the past, and that you've put that manual up on the bookshelf for good, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. But guys, that cannot be further from the truth. Every last one of us needs to know how to be a biblical parent. Younger people without kids, your time is coming. What better time than, than now to prepare for that? 
We all know that cramming the night before a test doesn't really do us that much good. It doesn't help as much as studying well in advance for the test. The same can be said for this as well. Use the time that you have now to learn how to parent properly so that you're ready when the time comes. And for an older generation that is past child raising, or the person that is called to singleness even, these same principles still apply to you for the spiritual children that you raise. See, if you are in Christ, then there is someone out there, whether you realize it or not, who is dependent on you and who is looking to you for spiritual guidance. You're their spiritual parent. And so you have to know how to biblically parent them. So this message is for everyone. And then the third temptation that you may face is uh, to discount this sermon because of the man that is preaching it, me. And you know what? You might be wondering how you can trust the, the parenting advice of a 28-year-old man who's only been a parent for four and a half years. And let me just be the first to say, it. I get that. <laughs> I get that. It's, it's really scary for me to be up here preaching about parenting. But this sermon is not my advice to you. This is the word of God that I'm preaching to you. This isn't my success that I'm passing along. Uh, this is the mandate that I've read from the word of God. The mandate that I desperately fail at keeping because I'm a sinful hypocrite in need of God's grace. This sermon was very difficult for me to write. I'll, I'll be completely honest. It was very difficult for me to write this sermon because every word that I wrote was a constant reminder at how much I fail at being a biblical parent how I failed in my own parenting to honor God. So don't trust in the words of this man. Don't trust in me. But trust in the words of the Lord that we read here. All right. So I know we're starting off kind of hot and heavy, but that's okay. Um, let's go ahead and jump right into the text, and, and we'll see what God has in store for us this morning. This passage that we read here is Moses speaking to the nation of Israel just before they enter the promised land. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years at this point, and Moses addresses them one final time before they finally go into their new homeland. He starts this address by reminding them of the law that God gave to him on Mount Sinai. He repeats the Ten Commandments, and he desperately urges them to obey the law. And, and that's when we come to chapter 6 here of, of Deuteronomy. Here in this text, Moses is commanding the people to not only keep the law themselves, but to pass it down to their children as well. So he's saying, don't just keep the law yourself, pass it along to your kids. And from this passage, I've come up with an absolutely foolproof uh, method for how to raise our children in a godly way. I'm really excited because it's plain as day right here in verses 4 through 9. Plain as day. When this sermon hits YouTube, it's going to go viral because this is an absolutely bulletproof plan that cannot go wrong. Guarantee that. And in honor of the context of how it was developed, I figured I would call it the Sinai Method. I thought that was pretty catchy. The Sinai Method, because Moses got this from Mount Sinai. Okay, so the Sinai Method, it's just four simple steps, very easy. Four simple steps that we have to follow, and our child raising will be perfect. You ready for it? Here it is. Step one, hear the word. Hear the word. We see that in verse 4. Moses tells the people to hear the, that the Lord is our God and that the Lord is one. We have to listen to the word of God in order to know what he wants us to do. In the context of what Moses is teaching, 
the word is the law given to him by God. Step two, obey the word. We see that in verse five. We have to take the word that we hear from step one and then obey it. Moses says that we are to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and strength. If we truly love God, then we will obey his word and we will keep it. All right. Step three, hide the word in our hearts. We see that in verse six. We have to take the word that we've heard and we have to hide it in our hearts so that we always will remember it. When we hide the word in our heart, it will steer us in every moment of our life to glorify God. And then step four, final step, teach the word to our children. We see that in verses seven through nine. Once we've heard the word, we've obeyed the word, and then we hid the word in our hearts, we can then teach it to our children. That's the final step. All we have to do is instruct them in the law that we've been given. We have to teach it to them diligently. The word should be on our lips all the time. And it should be written on our doorposts of our homes and on our gates. That means we should have signs all over the house with Bible verses on them. Our coffee cups should have Bible verses on them. Even our truck should have biblical bumper stickers. God's word should be written all over our homes for the sake of our children. And that's it. That's all we have to do. That's the simple, foolproof plan that I've learned from this passage. Again, I call it the Sinai method. Really cool. And I can make you a guarantee of success if you follow this plan. And there's not a whole lot of guarantees in life, but I can guarantee you this. You ready? I can guarantee that if you follow this process perfectly, then your kids will turn out just like the nation of Israel. Let that sink in for a minute. If you follow the Sinai method for raising your children, then I guarantee you that they will turn out just like the nation of Israel. If you're like me, that sent a little bit of a chill down your spine. It makes me shudder to imagine that my children would turn out like the nation of Israel because of my parenting. And why? Why do we not want our children to turn out like the nation of Israel? It's because we see that the Sinai method produced two results for Israel. It produced judges and Pharisees. And that's actually point one. Point one for this morning, the result of parenting from the Sinai method. The first result is raising a generation of judges. Right after Moses gives his last charge to the people of Israel, he died and Joshua takes over for him. And we see that Joshua's generation does exactly what they were supposed to. They kept the Sinai method and heard God's word, obeyed his word, and hid the word in their hearts. And then they taught the word to their children. So they did what they, they, did what they were supposed to do. And we see that God blesses the people. In Judges chapter 1, the Israelites conquer most of the remaining people in the land of Canaan, and they settle into their new home. But notice how quickly things change in Judges chapter 2. Go ahead and turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 2. I want to read there this morning. <clears throat> Judges chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 11, says this, then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their hearts who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. 
and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asterisk. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet, yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. They did not do so. Did you, did you hear that? They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. You see, the old guard kept the law. And they loved God. And they tried to teach their kids to do the same. But they failed. They failed because over time their faith in God became hollow. It became hollow. The kids picked up on this. They saw mom and dad enforcing a bunch of rules uh, without a clear explanation for why. Well, of course they went astray. If Israel didn't show their children the purpose of obedience to the law, then it's no wonder that they followed after other gods. Who wants to be a part of a hollow religion of rule-keeping with no clear purpose in mind? And yet, we wonder why so many of our kids abandon the church as soon as they're out of the house. Time and time again, we see young people raised up in the nursery. They come up through the kids' ministry and then through the youth ministry, and they come every week with their families. But as soon as they become an independent adult, they're out of here. They're gone. This is a real burden on my heart, and I know it's a burden on the heart of many in this church. But this is sometimes a result that we can see from parenting with the Sinai method. Expecting our children to follow all the rules without a clear understanding as to why can produce confusion and bitterness within our children. The second result that we see from, the par from parenting with the Sinai method is a generation of Pharisees. So we just talked about the judges. Let's fast forward a little bit in, in history to the end of the Old Testament times. Uh, we see that the nation of Israel returned from captivity, and they have a rekindled zeal for God. They found the book of the law, and they wept bitterly because of their failure to hold, uh, to, hold to God's commandments. And we recently talked about this when we studied Nehemiah together on Sunday nights. So we see this new love for God and His Word, but then all goes quiet for 400 years uh, until Christ comes in the New Testament. During this intertestament time, we have outside sources that give us a glimpse into the, li the life of the nation of Israel. This new group of religious leaders called the Pharisees begins to emerge. And at first, the Pharisees were actually a noble cause. They really were. They were trying to drive the nation of Israel back to God uh, through a deeper understanding and application of the law. But as we all know, the Pharise Pharisees eventually began to miss the mark. Their obedience to the law became an obsession. So rather than obeying the law out of love for God, their obedience to the law became their means of self-sufficiency. And we're familiar with this. We've seen this. But these guys had so much scripture memorized. 
It's crazy. Rather than obeying the law out of obedience to the law, um, excuse me, um, in, in, in order to be a rabbi, they had to have the entire Old Testament memorized. And, and that's just crazy to me. But even though they had all this knowledge about the word of God that was passed down to them from their parents and their teachers, they still somehow missed the Messiah. They still somehow missed him. The one that the Old Testament referred to, the one that wrote it, was standing before them. And they completely missed him. Jesus even spoke to this in John chapter 5, verse 39, when he says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. See, I, I was one of those Pharisees before I came to a saving faith in Christ. I was the good kid. I knew all the right answers. I knew how to keep the, the rules and look like the good kid in church. But in my heart, I was just as lost as an atheist. I was. Whitewashed tombs have no place in eternity with Christ. Folks, we have to be careful with our parenting. We have to be careful. If we raise our children solely by the law, then there's a good chance that we're going to raise little judges and little Pharisees. So now that we've talked about the result of parenting with the Sinai method, we need to look at the problem with it as well. So that's point number two. The problem with parenting from the Sinai method. One of the things that we as humans absolutely love are boundaries and rules. Now, some of us may fool ourselves into thinking that we're free spirits that you know, like to go with the flow and we're not really rule keepers. Um, but deep down, we all innately long for rules in life to keep us straight. We do. Deep down inside, we, we all long for rules. And, and that's why sometimes our children like to push our buttons and their boundaries. They, they, um, they don't even realize what they're doing, but they're trying to figure out exactly where rules start and stop so that they have a clear understanding of what acceptable behavior is. Unfortunately, this innate desire for rules can hinder us when we read the scriptures because the lens that we view the scriptures through is clouded. Specifically in the context of this passage, we just love to see the imperative language that Moses uses here. All of the shall commands appeal to us because we love the cut and dry nature of the imperative. That's why we love to quote Proverbs 22.6. We love to quote this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We love to quote that about our kids. See, we treat the scriptures as though they're a mathematical equation. If we just input X, then we're going to get Y. That's how we like to treat scripture sometimes. But that's not how this works. That's not how scripture works. If we assume that the Sinai method will produce good children, then we're wrong. We are dead wrong. That's not the reason that God gave us the law. He didn't give us the commandments so that we could teach them to our children and produce good little Christians. No, the point of the law was to reveal to us exactly how wicked our hearts are and how we can't possibly be good no matter how hard we try. So when Moses commands Israel to keep these commandments and teach them to their children, it's all for the sake of pointing them back to their need for God. This is made clear at the end of chapter 6. Look down, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, down in verse 20 with me. It says this, 
When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord, has, uh, the Lord our God has commanded of you? Then you shall say to your son, We are slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us out, out from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. So here's the problem with parenting with the Sinai method. If we teach our children the word of God with the expectation that it's going to make them good kids, then guys, we've, we've already missed it. We've already missed it. We're not in control of our kids' hearts. We cannot follow a formula or a set of rules um, that will result in our child's heart being changed. We simply cannot soften our child's heart of stone. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. It is our job to facilitate an environment and the opportunity for our children to see their need for the saving grace of Christ. But it is not our job to change their hearts through their obedience to the word. All right, so now that we've seen the problem with parenting from the Sinai method, I want us to take a look at the temptations of parenting with it. That's point number three. Temptations of parenting with the Sinai method. When we parent through the Sinai method, we're going to face two temptations that can really hinder us. The first is expecting our children to follow biblical imperatives without the Spirit. I'll say that again. Expecting our children to follow biblical imperatives without the Spirit. In our Sunday school class recently, uh, we've talked a lot about the natural tendency of man. Our natural fallen tendency is to glorify ourselves. In our sinful nature, our natural tendency is not to glorify God. It's to bring glory to me. That's what our natural fallen tendency is to do. And apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't bring glory to God through our works. Our children are not an exception to this rule. They are not. If our kids do not know Christ as their Savior, then we cannot expect them to follow the law of God for the purpose of His glory. Think about the fruit of the Spirit for just a moment. In fact, go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read about the fruit of the Spirit here. I just got a new Bible, and all my pages are sticking together. All right, Galatians chapter 5. Let's read verses 22 through 23. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now, who does this describe? Does it describe someone who doesn't belong to Jesus? No. Look, look at verse 24, right after verse 23. It says, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is a description of 
of someone that belongs to Christ. Someone whose heart has been drastically changed by the Holy Spirit. But just think about your own children before Christ. Or, or if you don't have kids, think of, think of young children of someone that you know. Would you describe them as having the fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> Most likely the answer is no. Now, I love my two, da- two daughters wholeheartedly. I do. I love them to death. But I'm telling you right now, I would not characterize my two daughters by their steadfast love for others. <laughs> Try withholding a snack from Reagan. I promise you, you will see that she is most certainly not long-suffering. Self-control? Good grief. What is self-control to a toddler? I don't even think that exists. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that children are absolute little terrorists that look like the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. They certainly have their moments of kindness and love. But without the Holy Spirit, our kids are not going to look like this on a continual basis. No matter how much we teach them the Word and how strictly they follow it, they will never produce the fruit of the Spirit unless they are walking with the Spirit. Just like verse 25 describes. Listen, this is important. Our kids will never truly reflect Jesus until they know Jesus personally. But there's this temptation that we face that tells us the opposite. We are tempted to think that our kids can look like little Christians if we coach them up through the word and then demand obedience to it. But that's, that's just not going to happen. All we're, going to, uh, all we're doing at that point is giving our children a false sense of hope through their obedience to the law. And this actually leads me to the second temptation that we face when we, when we parent through the Sinai method. Temptation two is applying the law with the unbiblical expectation of producing something other than judges or Pharisees. I'll say that again. Temptation two is applying the law with the unbiblical expectation of producing something other than judges or Pharisees. Now, I'm sure there is someone hearing this message this morning that is thinking our favorite Baptist phrase. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but my kids are different. Yeah, but this can't be the case for all children. Yeah, but you don't know how my family operates. You you don't. Yeah, but I was raised on the Sinai method. Yeah, but. Dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Church family, don't be fooled into thinking that your family is an exception. Don't let yourself think that you can follow this mathematical equation of inputting correct child behavior here and then expecting good Christian children to pop out here. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. If you follow that equation, you as a sinful human will always produce judges or Pharisees. And if you claim to expect anything other than those two outcomes, then it's simply a denial of the gospel. Simple as that. Believing that you can produce good Christian children through obedience to the law is a works-based salvation. It's telling Jesus that his work was not necessary for your kid's salvation. Folks, our parenting will never 
save our child's souls. Now, you might be a parent in despair this morning because you've got a teenager that wants nothing to do with Jesus. And you don't understand why because you've taught them all of the rules from their childhood. You expected obedience to the law. You brought them to church three times a week for their entire lives. You've raised them the way that you remember being raised. Fear God and honor your parents. But still, they are lost as ever, and it breaks your heart. And there might be some of you here that have the most obedient children. They follow the rules that you set for them. They never give you any major trouble. They're the model citizen that everyone dreams of raising. But despite their whitewashed exterior, their inside is a dead man's tomb. They have never trusted in Christ to be the propitiation for their sin, and their heart is still black as night. Their self-righteousness has left them just as lost as the first kid. If you're a parent of either of these children, then I have good news for you. There is hope. There is hope. No matter how badly we have messed up in our parenting, the Holy Spirit is still more powerful than our methods. Despite our sometimes flawed attempts to raise our children, the grace of, uh, uh, the grace of God is still sufficient to save. Even if we have royally failed, the Holy Spirit can still soften any heart of stone. And that is the power of the gospel. Amen. Praise God. That is the power of the gospel. All right, so we've covered the result, the problem, and the temptations of parenting with the Sinai method. So what's the answer to this problem? Point number four. The answer to the problem. The answer is this. We parent with the law and the gospel in unison. In parenting with the law, we teach our children the commands of God in their proper light. Now remember what the law was designed for. It was not given to us in order to make us good people. It was given to us to show exactly how not good we really are. When we teach our children the law, it should be with the intent of revealing their sin to them. When we teach them um, we are not to lie, it's so that when they do lie, they realize that they've broken God's standard. We teach them to obey us when we tell them to do something, not because we're on a power trip, but because God has given us authority over them. And when they disobey us, they should see that they've disobeyed God and broken his standard again. And when we teach our kids not to speak harsh words in anger, the law is there to remind them again how they couldn't keep God's standard. The ultimate goal of using the law in our parenting is to show our kids how much they need the grace of the gospel. When they break the law, it is an opportunity for us to expose their need for a savior. We get to explain uh, to them how, uh, how much they need the grace of the gospel. When they break the law, it's an opportunity for us to break that conversation and teach them about the gospel. And by accepting his sacrifice, by accepting Christ's sacrifice as payment for our, our debt to God, we can be saved from our own unrighteousness. We get to teach them that. That is how we balance the law and the gospel in our parenting. And that may seem like a no-brainer answer, but it's more difficult than it seems. And why is that? Even if it seems like such a straightforward answer that we should all know, 
And why is it so hard? It's because it's inconvenient. I confess to you right now that I am a lazy parent sometimes. I, I really am. When my kids are not just breaking the law, but taking the law, throwing it on the ground, shattering it, and stomping on it. When they're doing that, it's very tempting to command obedience for the sake of my own sanity. Sometimes I'm more concerned with my kids' civility than I am with their salvation. And that's not easy for me to say. That's very hard for me to stand up here and confess because it reveals a, a sin in my own heart that I'm most certainly not proud of, but, it, but it's true. Sometimes it's just easier to lay down the law for the sake of the moment than it is to sit down with Avery and, and to explain to her how her actions did not bring glory to God. It's easier. Because that takes time and effort, but it's necessary. Now, I'm not saying that every time that you correct your child, you have to sit down and lay out the gospel. That, that's just not realistic. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. But it should be commonplace enough that when you do parent them from the law, your kids should know that it's for the sake of the gospel. Now, as we close, I, I would like to leave you with some application points for what it looks like to parent with a balance from the law and the gospel. So, point number one. In exposing our kids' sin, we don't excuse it. When we parent with grace, one of the temptations that we will face is to focus on so much on showing the gospel message to our kids that we will fail to bring about proper correction. When, when my oldest kid snatches her sister's toy and runs away with it, correction can sometimes get lost in the moment if I'm not careful. I can get so caught up in explaining the gospel to Avery that I, I forget to, to correct her in a loving way. There's a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's written by Ted Tripp. And if, you, if you're at all wanting to learn more about the, the biblical model for parenting, how to raise a child biblically, I highly recommend this book. It is such a good book. But in this book, Tripp talks about how the proper process for correction is to calmly take your child to the side, explain to them what they did wrong, have them admit to their wrongdoing, explain what the consequence will be, i.e. spanking or whatever it is, and then execute the discipline. And then after executing that discipline, you then embrace them in love so that they realize that they can trust you. Guys, that's the balance right there. That's the balance. That's using the law to reveal your kid's sin, but then show the, showing them the love that the gospel of Jesus Christ offers to them. That's how we balance the two together. So we have to remember to not excuse our kid's sin when we expose the sin that they've committed. Application point number two. We must be vulnerable and transparent parents. Say that five times fast. Transparent parents. This is the hard one. This chips away at our pride, and we can't stand it. We absolutely can't stand it. It is one of the hardest things to do when your kids are in sin to stop and admit to them that you are a sinner in need of God's grace as well. It's so difficult to do that. It's much easier in the moment to focus on their sin because it takes the spotlight away from us. But let me propose a thought. Think about this. If we never admit our faults to our children, then we quickly become the standard. We become the standard. 
instead of looking at Jesus as their standard of obedience to God, the bar becomes much more attainable because now it's mommy and daddy rather than Christ. This is simply leading them to become the judges and Pharisees as we talked about earlier because God's standard is no longer their standard. So take the time to talk with your kids about how mommy and daddy aren't perfect. Explain to them that you need the grace of Jesus just as much as they do. It's hard, but it's worth it. Application point number three, confess your sins before God, especially in your parenting. None of us are perfect parents. Y'all know my flaws as a parent. If you know me well enough, you know that I'm sometimes a little strict and I tend to lean more toward the law. That's, that's one of my flaws. But it's my job to confess that to God. It's my job to ask God to forgive me for the ways that I've failed in my parenting and ask him for his help to glorify him better through my parenting. It's your job to do the same. Don't be scared to admit to God that you've messed up and need help. There's no, there, there is no room for pride in our parenting. Finally, application point number four. We have to trust God's word. Listen, I, I know it's not easy sometimes, but we have to trust what the Bible says to us. We have to trust what it says is true. We, we want guarantee, uh, guarantees that our parenting will lead our children to saving faith in Christ, but the scriptures just don't make us that promise. They don't. But we can rest in the promises that the scriptures do make to us. Promises like John 8, 12 that says this, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the promise that we see in Romans 10, verses 13 through 14, that says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? The scriptures are clear. Jesus will, will never fail someone who calls on him. He will never fail them. He is the light of the world that has the power to save. But how are kids going to call on him if they have not heard? We have to trust the promise of scripture and be that preacher of the gospel to them. We have to trust that their salvation depends wholly on the grace of God and not on our works or their own. If we can trust in that, we can begin to point them to the Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you so much for your word. God, you've given us your spoken word to us so that we can know you know who you are, and learn how to become more like you. And Lord, you've given us an opportunity to see what the biblical model of parenting looks like. It's not a mathematical equation. It's not something that we can, that we can input our kids' good behavior here and expect them to pop out these good little Christians. Lord, that doesn't work. Lord, there is nothing that we can do to save our children, but God, we know that you are faithful to save those whom you have called. And Lord, I pray that you would use us in our parenting to point our children to you. 
God, help us to, to point both our physical and our spiritual children to the Savior whom they need. God, help us to be a light in this world to them. Help us to be that preacher so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I love you and I praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.